sometimes when you are a generalist, it can be a little difficult to understand and really like hone in on what you're worth, like what your tasks that you complete or what your skill sets that you have to offer are monetarily valued at. And she sent me a fun little tool um, the other day (laughs) how to kind of plug in like what you might earn for a speaking engagement. And we were joking that we sometimes feel like the doctors of the olden days where they would go deliver a baby and they would get paid with a chicken or some eggs for the, for the work that they did. And um, (laughs) maybe that's another topic for another day. But I think when you, when you are really clear on your worth and your skills and your, what you have to offer, um, you can be a little more discerning. Hey everybody. And welcome to the advice not given podcast. Each week, we share unfiltered, truth-telling conversations between two friends. You're invited to eavesdrop as we give each other the advice you didn't ask for, but wish you did. We're your hosts, Kelly Artis and Claire Wood of Millspill Gurus, and this is Advice Not Given. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode 13 of the Advice Not Given podcast. Kelly and I are bringing you a fun and fresh topic today about this idea of generalists versus specialists. And I know that sounds really technical. We're going to break some of that down. But we have found um, a lot of the things that we encounter as spouses of service members leave us feeling with a glass half empty mindset. And we are always on the hunt for ways to really look at life in a more optimistic way and um, turn things that feel like difficulties into opportunities. And this is one of those things that I think as we talk through it, um, we hope to be able to help shift our own mindsets and maybe help convince you too that um, some of the things we have, you know, typically viewed as a struggle are actually a blessing in disguise. And so Kelly, do you want to talk a little bit about what kind of an overview of a generalist is? So a generalist is kind of classically defined, or I don't know, maybe it's uh, commonly defined nowadays as just somebody who knows a little bit or a a good bit about a lot of things. So sort of your Jack or Jill of all trades. Um, A lot of times, especially in generations past, that's been viewed as um, a little too scattered to be efficient and um, to be productive. You needed to specialize in a thing, right? So think assembly line. Think like, you know, Ford Motor Parts. You know, my grandparents worked in mills and they had very specific, highly specific things that they did in order to work together as a big group or larger community to create or assemble the final product or piece or whatever. So that's kind of been the the that was like a revolutionary way to produce things efficiently and quickly back in the day. Uh, but nowadays our society and technology has advanced to a, at a pace where we have access to a ton more um, information and resources and ways of learning things and picking up new skills and trades. So, and also just, we've been able to free up some of our time because we've been able to automate a ton of the skills and things that used to take really hard labor and and long hours of the day. So giving us the luxury to kind of dabble in a ton of things. So I feel like we're starting to see a rise in folks that are more generalist and less, less specialized. One of the reasons this came up is I recently checked out and have begun reading a book called Range, written by David Epstein or Epstein. 
And he kind of claps back to this idea of like, you've heard of the 10,000 hour rule where like everybody needs to, you know, have at least 10,000 hours practicing something in order to be proficient at it, like an instrument, a sport, a skill. And he kind of talks about how that's really not the case anymore, um, that instead of being so hyper-focused on one thing uh, in our careers and our passions and all the things that we put our hand to, it's really better to just have a, an eclectic mix of things that you are maybe not awesome at, but at least proficient in. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting concept. And how I think that applies to us in our setting is so often we feel like it's such a negative that, oh, we move all the time. And, oh, I don't have continuity in my employment. And I have a little bit of this that I learned while I worked here and a little bit of that. And, and we see it as a detriment to our hireability. We see it as a detriment just to our overall you know, contribution. And um, I think if we can kind of flip the way we're looking at that and see it as a good thing, like it's a a benefit to us that we have varied exposure, very varied experience. um, Yeah, that can change a lot, even just with our mindset Mindset. changing. Yeah, for sure. So that's something that I see a lot. And I've experienced, you know, as many of us have experienced it firsthand where, you know, I've had employers or potential employers or particularly one instance that I'm recalling, I had left a fairly, it was a good job. And uh, I was working remotely in California for this guy and as a, an executive assistant doing some pretty like high powered stuff and being compensated really well, uh, I decided to leave that job. And when we moved back to the East Coast and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go to a recruiter in DC and um, pick up another client. Like that'll just be what I do. I'm good at this, you know? Okay, cool. And again, very general sort of job description. I was doing like a little bit of everything uh, in this job. So I'm like, okay, I'm good at this. This is clearly my niche. And uh, the recruiter looked at my resume and laughed in my face. (laughs) She was like, she wasn't super rude about it. I mean, it was rude, but she's like, okay, Kelly, like, I don't know what to do with this. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm good at like all these things. That's, that's cool. Right. And she's like, um, so I know you're not trying to divulge that you're a military spouse, but you can totally tell, um, it's a dead giveaway on your resume. So, um, that's going to ping on, on an employer's radar and they're going to be a little hesitant. This is your liability. Essentially, you're like a walking liability. I'm like, Mm. okay, wait. So that was my moment of no, you know what? I'm going to have to take this into my own control. No employer is going to pick up on the positive sides of my resume. They're not going to, I'm going to have to be really explicit and spell out things. So I changed up the way that I wrote my resume. It wasn't chronological. I don't write a chronological resume anymore because that does not make sense. I've grouped all of these skill sets and industries in such a way that it tells a broader story about my capability to pick up new tasks and learn new things and excel at the new thing. And then also like, look at how expansive my skill sets are. Um, I mean, I take a little liberty with some of that. Like I'm not amazing at all of these things, but I dabble and you know what? I can figure it out. Yeah. There's YouTube and Google. So there's totally YouTube. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's something that a lot of times we miss in this conversation. Um, and I wish that we would um, kind of just strengthen the, the the language around that, especially when talking to military spouses um, who've had a couple of odd jobs here and there and don't really know how to piece their resume together, enhancing um, the way that they speak about themselves, like building their confidence in that, you know, yeah, you didn't pick one thing to specialize in, but you have so much experience that you could you could specialize in anything you want. 
if you wanted to do that. But let's keep right. those options open. <laughs> so I even think back to being a little kid and getting to high school and feeling not mad at my mom and dad, but kind of like, you guys never made me stick with any one thing. Like I was a brownie for a few years. <laughs> and then I did, you know, a year of softball and played a year of two of soccer. And I found myself like not really good or expert at any one thing. And I felt frustration with it. But I also think that in itself was a great skill set to pick up. And that is no fear of trying something new. Yeah. If you love it, great. You wouldn't have known if you didn't try. If you hate it, also great. You wouldn't have known if you didn't try. And um, I think that as an adult, like that's still a very valuable way of looking at things. Like I may not be the best at something, but if it interests me enough to want to give it a try, then I should do it. Or, well, okay. So let me ask you this. Did you know your call or your major in college when you first started school? I did. You did. I I think, I think my last year or so of high school, I switched between a few different things. I took a drafting class and wanted to be an architect. And then I thought, no, I want to be a pharmacist, but I hate science. (laughs) So I did start college with an education uh, degree path. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, I didn't decide until like two years. (laughs) And even then mine is like communications, which is so generic and bland, um, but has, Mm -hmm. you know, has served me well. Hey, you look at you now. You have a podcast. Don't what? tell me that communications degree <laughs> didn't come in handy. It sure did. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, so, well, you kind of bring up another topic too, or another good point that I'd love to tease out. So, talking about sports, we're in the we're in the middle of this right now. Our kids are little, and they're kind of testing all the different sports right now. We let them do one per season. Usually, we might be leaning towards one per year here soon, but. Um, yeah, they've 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 t- they've tried out, you know, for soccer. They tried swimming. They've tried lacrosse, and now my daughter's moved on to volleyball, which she's really loving. And it's actually something that I was never even exposed to. I didn't even have the opportunity to play volleyball as a sport in school, and she's kind of loving it. So, you know, I don't know where she'll land eventually, but um, I love giving them the opportunity, especially now when they're so young, instead of you know having them devote every hour of their 10,000 hours to one sport, which, you know, has its perks. I mean, if you're Michael Phelps or Simone Biles or, you know, anybody that's like made it in some of these sports, like that, that was what was needed. That's what they had to do. Um, but I also kind of love the idea of creating a more well-rounded athlete um, through testing out all of the different sports. So how do you think that plays into this conversation uh, professionally? Hmm. Well, I'm thinking back to this book, Range. He starts the whole book about comparing, um, it's Tiger Woods and uh, I've lost the, it's a baseball player, I think. And he kind of compares their two approaches and they both ended up at the same place, but one Tiger Woods, very specialized and the baseball player like played all, or no, it was a tennis player. It was Roger Federer, played all the sports and still ended up at an elite level. Hmm. And I'll I'll come to your question about employment, but I think first I want to address as a parent, Again, because we move a lot, like my kids have never been right. able to just stick with like one traveling baseball team or one um, gymnastics team. And you realize once your kids hit about 10 or 12 years old, that unless mm-hmm. they have been doing that since they were about four, they have already been surpassed with Ugh, it's opportunity, so true. really. And I'll tell you what, too, being put on the teams that have been like hodgepodge together versus the ones that have been stable for years and years. We're already experiencing that. Like all the little teams my kids get on in the rec department, they get squashed. Like Hannah says they're defeated. (laughs) 
<laughs> like that yeah. little lacrosse team went defeated last season. She's so cute. Well, about it's it. like <laughs> it's true. It's like the reading groups. It's the eagles and the crows, right? And <laughs> kids are not stupid. They know which yeah. one is which. And so, yeah, I think that's true. But you know, Ryan and I keep coming back to this thing. Yes, we want our kids to participate in sports, and there's a lot of great things they can learn from it, but we're not raising professional athletes. Right. And I think to circle back to like the professional mm-hmm. piece of it, I'm not going to be probably like a best selling author. I'm not going mm-hmm. to be a record breaking podcaster. Do I, ha- did I have a good time writing and publishing a book? I did. Is this yeah. awesome in, in building not just fun and creativity, but some skill sets that we have this podcast? Absolutely. I'm not trying to be at the top of my game. I'm just trying to enjoy the process. And so I think that's where I land on that is learning to appreciate that part of it. I love that. And also just like taking agency in the things that we have control over. And really the only thing that we have control over is our mindset and is our internal reactions to the way um, we are treated by the world. Because let's be real, like Uncle Sam dictates a lot of our lives that... um, Just about everything. Just about everything. Yeah, there's, there's some level of impact no matter what uh, we do. So being able to embrace uh, the way that we are able to adapt, you know, and sadly some people can't and don't, and that's unfortunate. And it's, you know, not necessarily, maybe they're just not cut out to, to bounce around, you know, it's, it's hard. It's not, I'm not saying it's easy. And I definitely appreciate the fact that I may be a little more well-suited to this lifestyle because I didn't specialize. And that doesn't mean that I gave up the opportunity to specialize. Like, I realized that about myself. I mean, there was a moment where I was like, I should go to law school. I mean, I killed that real fast when I found out how hard it was. But <laughs> I was like, but lawyers make lots of money. Like, I like that. And I like to mm-hmm. argue, you know, kind of that that mindset or that, you know, train of thought. And um, But then I'm speaking to lawyer friends of mine. Like, they geobatch a lot. They live separately from their service member because they have to take the bar in a new state when they move. And it doesn't make sense to do that every time you move and hold a... Well, and they could be the breadwinner of that duo too. And so it makes more sense for them to stick around and not give up their high-powered, high-paying jobs. Yeah, no, that is absolutely true. Now, they might be better suited on the back end of service because then they can, you know, just keep doing their thing and then their service member can figure out, you know, take the time to transition, um, which is a whole nother thing. So in that way, like, I feel like there's a bit more of a trajectory, like a career path when you specialize. Um, but I also feel like your hands get tied more quickly. So when you're moving to a new area that, you know, you have to seek out licensure or recertifications or things like that, it gets really challenging and you can really, I feel like the burnout rates are probably higher with that. Um, versus those of us who have enough of a breadth maybe Mm, yeah something you know like have have more experiences and all these like maybe i hate to say intimidated but like maybe not as intimidated by trying new things and and pushing our limits and and you know innovating in that way so that um our options are easier to digest like we were we're more open-minded when it comes to taking a gosh i used to remember looking at like job postings and stuff like that looks cool. I've never worked for a symphony before. I wonder what that's like. You know, yeah. like, literally like that looks fun and let's try it. I'll learn, you know, whatever the job description was like, I'll learn, I can learn that. No big deal. Um, but what's an interest, what'll keep my attention? Like what's something that I think will be worth my time? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think we might be, 
we might have an edge in that way. And I, I just get really sad when I see people that are just constantly like beat down and defeated over the fact that they're being told by employers, much like my case where I was laughed at mm. um, and considered to be a liability to a potential employer versus being able to kind of flip that and say, oh, that's cute that you have this really limited point of view. Let me explain what this right. resume could mean if you were looking at it maybe in a different way. So, Yeah. Yeah. I think about when we were at our first duty station and I applied to work at Starbucks um, with a master's degree in English. And I did not even get so much as a follow-up phone call. And I'm what? thinking, okay, so I'm seeing that these are very different industries, but I feel like I can take some of my skills <laughs> as a communicator and I'm a quick learner. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess that's not going to be in the cards, but um, yeah. So I think there is a willingness there from a lot of us to, to be available to trying new things. Um, when the opportunity presents. So you have to look at it that way too. Mm-hmm. So I was reading one of the links you sent me, I was reading into like some of the pros and cons between being a generalist and being a specialist and some of the industries that it might make more sense. Cause I know we're kind of speaking in really broad <coughs> strokes, but there are more practical applications that you can apply to um, whether or not it's a good idea to stay in like a specialist sort of track or, and really these are, I don't know, Claire, do you think these are like, innate do you think you're either like a specialist and you're more wired to be that or you're maybe more wired to be a generalist or do you think it's more like nurture like you kind of you do what you do to get by I think it's the way I'm hearing your question I think it's more of nurture I think especially as you gravitate toward a particular field or industry I'm thinking like in Mm. medicine right um I think you are either like the general practitioner or you're hyper-focused mm-hmm. on, I'm going to be a back surgeon and like you have something driving you um, to pursue that highest level or not highest level, Expertise, but that specialty. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. wonder too, if it's not like a matter of conditioning, like we've kind of been, especially in our realm, uh, the specialists have way more hurdles than the generalists do um, as far as like moving around right. and relocating and whatnot. So just by like almost like what do you call it? Natural selection. <laughs> We've just like yeah. the generalists survive in this world. So we're the ones like kind of paving the way for, for more people. Well, on one of the articles that we referenced in thinking about this topic, there's a graphic that shows a spoon, which I'm assuming represents the specialist. And then there is a picture of a Swiss army knife with all these little contraptions and uh, utility features that would represent a generalist. And I think where we're trying to to arrive here is that mentally we have to begin thinking of ourselves um, as the Swiss army knife. And we have to Think of some way that we are continuing to sharpen each of those skills and abilities and experiences that we have. And then we also want to talk through some of the ways that we organize those things and like resumes, LinkedIn, um, and how we can kind of keep a, an existing document or, or thing that we're continually updating with as we add new skills and as we add new experiences that also can then be marketed or handed over to a potential employer. Yeah. So what, I don't know. I just randomly thought of Ariel and her grotto with her thingamabobs and her. So I think though, so it doesn't sound super impressive to call something a thingamabob, right? So learning how to identify the skills that you have in a way that's attractive to an employer, I think is huge. So 
you know, really having the self-awareness and the discernment. Okay. These are just going to always be recurring things with us. Um, being able to kind of look over your experiences before you even sit down to do your resume. Like, let's just take steps back from that, figure out what the things are that you are really good at. And it might not be very specific things. It could be more broad or generalized things like you're a quick learner. Okay, cool. How have you put that into practice and what do you call that? So learning to anchor your, um, your talking points, so to speak on these, I mean, I, you, you could call them values. Um, but maybe like your core traits, like what are the things that, what is your corkscrew and your little nail scissors and your bottle opener look like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like know what they're called and be able to name them and call them to mind quickly whenever you're put in a situation where you need to like kind of give your elevator sell yourself or sell yourself. Yeah. yeah. Also knowing how much a good corkscrew costs, right? <laughs> like how much mm-hmm. is that skill set worth? All right. So mm-hmm. you may have picked up some like random skill along the way, not understanding that people pay good money to have that skill put into practice. For random example, I know how to do PowerPoint slides. Big whoop. Apparently, people pay people to do PowerPoint slides. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I had no idea. It's one of my little tools in my little Swiss Army knife kit. Um, someone saw a PowerPoint slide of mine and said, hey, do you know how to do this? And I was like, yeah, totally. They're like, do you know how to make the graphics move? I was like, well, yeah. I mean, was I being completely truthful? No, I had to learn how to make the graphics move. But that's okay. I told her I did. And <laughs> she paid me. <laughs> to make them a PowerPoint slide. So again, just being able to like open up your toolbox and know exactly where you put the tool and how to pull it out, how to dust it off, keep that skill sharp. Um, You could put it into practice a lot more easily. Just, you know, could be interview situations. It could be volunteer stuff that you're doing. Could also be freelancing. I mean, whatever the case is, um, have your, have your stuff ready to go. You know what I mean? Like have it just kind of always honed and ready and ready to put back into use. Otherwise you just have a bunch of junk that you don't know what to call. Yeah. What the names are and you brush your hair with a fork. Like that's just not smart. (laughs) (laughs) But I think there's also personal value in, in that honing because it allows you to identify, you know, I may be really good at this, but I don't really enjoy it. Or I may Mm -hmm. really enjoy this, but I'm not great at it. How can I then Mm -hmm. utilize my time efficiently to get better? Um, so I think there's a lot of clarity that can come with that as well. Have you ever mm-hmm. taken the Strengths Finder, the Clifton Strengths Finder? I have, but I can't remember. Well, my my point being, I give Corey Weathers a shout out here. We were stationed together a couple assignments ago, and she not only walked a group I was in through it, but then I went to like some additional training for it. And one of the things I do love about it is it does help you kind of sift through and pinpoint the things you're really good at. And in some of the... Um, resources they give you after you pay to take the test, it'll even tell you like, well, with this strength, here are good industries that would be a good fit for you. Mm, Or here mm -hmm. are some jobs or even hobbies that might be of interest to you or that tend to align with your um, particular strengths. And so I think that's also a good refining and clarifying and honing measure. Um, If you are just completely lost on what you feel like you might be good at or what your strengths are. Yeah. And a lot of organizations use that as part of even their application process. Like they'll ask you, what are your strength finder, you know, strengths or what are your top three or I forget the way they talk about it, but top five. Yeah. What's your disc Mm -hmm. or yeah. Like, um, because they're looking for certain traits and quality. Now, I mean, that could be 
well-intentioned or totally misguided on their end, <laughs> but you know, you just kind of have True. to trust that they at least have, maybe that's their thing. Maybe they're just into that typology system. Um, I will say that one thing that I really love about the Enneagram, I know you guys were y'all are probably sick of hearing about it, but <laughs> the one thing that um, I do love about that is that it's given me language to talk about myself and to answer questions yeah. about myself that are otherwise um, tricky. Cause I think we're just so conditioned to not don't talk about yourself. Don't be so self-centered, you know, whatever. But there's, there's a ton of value in that being able to really quickly answer easy questions. Like what are your strengths and weaknesses during an interview? Yeah. <laughs> like if you're like, I don't know, you know, like, yeah, come on. Like that's a yeah. given, you know, that question is going to be asked. Prepare you better something. be ready. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now mine's always like, <laughs> I just want to do everything. So I have to learn how to delegate, (laughs) you know, like the positive, negative, like humble brags. But um, yeah, but yeah, I think there's value there. And again, just being able to name your traits. Um, Yeah. And interestingly enough, and I'm just, I won't go too deep into this, but my subtype of the five is a social social slash intimate subtype. So it's my stack or whatever. And you guys will explain this in another episode, I'm sure. But um, they're very specific names for each thing. And mine is called the totem. Mm -hmm. And it actually essentially quantifies me as a generalist. Like the whole thing is like, we are so curious and we seek, we like do deep dives on all these random topics and learn everything that we yeah. want to learn, not necessarily need to learn because it's usually just rabbit trails that we're hopping down. But we bring back this like really random knowledge to our like circle or people. Um, and so they call us like the intellectual shamans, which I know gets a little appropriative. Yeah. So I'm not like, you know, claiming that. But um, I think it's fascinating because the, the idea stands like I really love going out and finding new crazy curious things, watching like the quirky documentary on something ridiculous and bringing it up during a dinner conversation where people are like, what? Like, what? <laughs> you know, it serves me no purpose. Like it doesn't help me. <laughs> I can't put it on my resume. Yeah. But I'm like fascinated by it. And I love that. So I, I do think that I was better suited or am better suited for this lifestyle just because of that fact that I have that like in more like innate curiosity um and ability to kind of like really dive in um but yeah yeah. well I think you just have to you being people listening like we all just have to look at that as an opportunity that we get to explore and examine and seek out and Mm -hmm. figure out what it is that you know gets us up in the morning. And, uh, I, when you were talking about, um, in an interview situation, knowing that, you know, what describe yourself with, you know, your three best qualities or whatever. I always think of Dwight on the office when he says hardworking alpha male jackhammer merciless. <laughs> like I, I just love that because he is so, he, he over answers the question, but he is so confident. Yeah, he's in so it. confident. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think there's actually even a little lesson there. I mean, no, know who you are and know what you, what, you know, and I guess for me as a six, I'm always like, well, what do you want me to do? Or what do you want me to be good at? Or how, how can I be a chameleon? Yeah. Like chameleonize myself Mm. to fit into like whatever, which can be a strength, but it can also be um, tiresome to do that. What's your, what's your answer to the weakness question when they ask you, what's your biggest weakness? Second guessing myself. Um, okay. I would say that that's often my biggest weakness. I, I, I can be confident about certain things and then other things I'm like, well, 
you know, I can do that all day long. So mm. I don't know if I'd say that in an interview, but that's just what comes to top of mind. Yeah, but there's a way you can in general. <laughs> but there's a way you can spin that though, right? Like second guessing myself. Yeah. However, I'm working on I think through learning when yeah, and it helps me think mm-hmm. through. Yeah, learning when to pull in other yeah. opinions or other, you know, feedback from colleagues and teammates. So I mean, we're probably preaching to the choir with half the people listening, but if anyone is listening and looking for specific interview tips, I mean, there's always a way to spin. Like it's, I think it's healthy to know your weaknesses and employers think it's healthy to know your weaknesses. To say that I have none is like asinine, but um, yeah, pick something that you do struggle with and that you have recognized and that you're working on. Like that's the key. So mine is, I usually do say something about time management. I'm, I am great with Mm -hmm. deadlines. Like you give me a deadline, I'll meet it, you know, come hell or high water. But it doesn't mean that I have managed my time appropriately up to the deadline. <laughs> so, um, you know, to be a fly on the wall in my office is like a scary thing when I get closer to a deadline. <laughs> but um, so it's something that I am yeah. working on. And that's usually something that goes, you yeah, know, okay, cool. Next question. Like, no big deal. Um, so always have something to yeah. say there. But it's also like a humble brag, too. Uh-huh. Of like, I work so hard <laughs> yeah. that I. Uh... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's talk resources. Like what um I have a few. Um, but let's say like what if I'm someone specifically, since we're kind of gearing this conversation towards military spouses, um, what are some resources that you know of and that you would recommend for people um who are looking to do this sort of like self-assessment evaluation, um honing in on what their tools are in their toolbox? Well, I definitely think that some we've already mentioned, Enneagram, StrengthsFinder, those mm-hmm. are great. Um, I also think that LinkedIn provides a lot of resources. And as we know, we now get the mm-hmm. deluxe or plus LinkedIn membership as Premium. military spouses. Yeah. And, you know, maybe start by just looking in your industry and seeing what other people, how they have listed their skills and how they mm-hmm. are like presenting themselves. Um, not to say that we want to go, you know, copy somebody else, but I think it's good to see, get some ideas of how other people may be presenting themselves in, in that type of mm-hmm. format or yeah. setting. Yeah. I like that. Um, LinkedIn has such like, okay. So LinkedIn learning, you guys, if you are a premium member, which if you've PCS, I think the rule is if you PCS on six months of either before or after, they'll give you a free year membership, um, to premium. And that's usually like $80 a month. Or maybe it might be annual. I can't remember. Um, but you have to go through the military one source resources. So my seco is what it's called, and it's my S E C O. So spouse military spouse employment and career opportunities is what it stands for. We'll put it in the show notes, a link. Yeah, you guys know how that goes. But anyway, you go through them, you do a little like mandatory training, like click through (laughs) course, um, which I had started to do kind of apathetically, like, okay, okay, we've got to do this to get through to the free thing. Um, But really do it. It's good. Um, It teaches you, you know, how to pimp out your LinkedIn profile, like what things employers are looking at, um, what things not to skip, like make sure you have a headline, you know, your profile picture should look like this, that, and the other, you know, really helpful stuff. I'm going to show you examples. Um, They also give you groups to get plugged into on LinkedIn, which are really great for crowdsourcing things. Um, And then the next thing that I would say is just start networking. Like you'd be surprised, Mm -hmm. like nobody gets a job because they applied to an opening somewhere. That's not how things work anymore at all. Um, You have to know somebody and you have to network and you have to ask for introductions and, and yeah, there's just, there's, it's just not, that's just how things do like how things go. Like if you're just like shotgun blasting out resumes, like 
good luck. It's just a colossal yeah. waste of time, if you ask me. Well, and I think one good way to do that at a local level is most every installation has a hiring our heroes chapter. Yep. And they are not only a great networking, it's also just a great resource. Mm -hmm. They've got tons of things available for military spouses, like whether you're transitioning from place to place or maybe re-entering the workforce if you've been out for a while. Um, I know last year I was trying to attend our meetings regularly and it was just, if nothing else, it was a good place to commiserate with other people who were like walking the same, walking the same road as you, but um, lots of great networking there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they have really great relationships with a ton of different companies and industries who now have um, military spouse preferential hiring practices. Um, they're working on it. The veterans hiring initiatives are definitely a lot more substantial and have um, they've they've made some serious progress in that arena, which they should. Yeah. And they I'm glad they have. Um, but the military spouse uh, unemployment and underemployment is uh, epidemic. It's it's a problem. So um, if you're an employer and you happen to be listening. <laughs> Uh, may we just encourage you to uh, put on a different set of, of spectacles when you're looking at a military spouse resume, um, start to kind of process that information exactly how we've been framing it. I mean, look at the vast array of experiences that person contains and has, has lived through in different industries and all the different skill sets and communication skills and interpersonal skills that that person has acquired, um, just working in different cultures and scenarios and situations. I mean, there is just so much goodness to be found there and uncovered there. Yes. And sadly, I mean, I'll say it, like we've been kind of beat down and discouraged so frequently and so often that we don't even know what we're worth anymore. Um, so yeah, just take a moment and try to suss that out um, and recognize what you have sitting in front of you because a lot of times we're more loyal. Absolutely. You know, the, the old argument used to be, oh, they're going to just move in a couple of years. Well, we now outpace millennials as far as um, tenure. Staying and, on a job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I think it's, I don't I can't remember the exact numbers, but I want to say we'll stay about two years and most millennials uh, move on in 18 months. So you're going to get somebody that's really loyal. And I would also really encourage anyone listening to uh, consider remote opportunities for military spouses. So if you have uh, just this amazing asset in your office or company and they're PCSing or moving away, or maybe uh, she's going to have a baby and her husband's deployed, you know, like random life circumstances that we're finding ourselves in, um, be open-minded about uh, work opportunities for that person because it would cost more in the long run to recruit and hire and train someone to replace that person than it would to just maybe be a little more flexible with the work accommodations. Um, yeah, we won't spend too much time on it, but we keep dancing dancing around this idea of knowing your worth. And Kelly and I have joked a little bit over the past few weeks just about sometimes when you are a generalist, it can be a little difficult to understand and really like hone in on what your worth, like what your tasks that you complete or what your skill sets that you have to offer are monetarily valued at. And she yeah. sent me a fun little tool um, the other day <laughs> how to kind of plug in like what you might earn for a speaking engagement. And we were joking that we sometimes feel like the doctors of the olden days where they would go deliver a baby <laughs> and they would get paid with a chicken or some eggs for the, for the work that they did. And um, yep. Yep. <laughs> maybe that's another topic for another day. But I think when you, when you are really clear on your worth and your skills and your, what you have to offer, um, you can be a little more discerning in, you know, what you are willing to take or not take in terms of 
compensation. So this might be a rabbit hole that I'll edit out later, but um, I was having a Facebook conversation with somebody on a thread and they were talking about local hiring um, practices in a military town. And they were talking about how like apparently a doctor, she stated on her thread that a doctor, a local doctor in town stated that he would only pay a military spouse like somewhere between 10 and $12 an hour. And it was, he was, he was called to question about that because these are management, even kind of jobs like office manager jobs, Um, not just like reception, even receptionist, that is pitiful pay. But anyway, um, he's like, but they'll take, I've got 50 applicants that will take 10 to $12 an hour. Why? Why would I ever pay more than that? I'm going to go take my eggs that I just got and go egg (laughs) egg his practice. Right? But but it got me thinking. I'm like, oh my God, it's so true. So it's not only, you know, some some mm, some local employers may have this mindset of, oh, they're they're not reliable, or you know, they're they'll flake out when their spouse deploys or whatever. And so again, a lot of the advice that I give to, you know, younger or newer spouses, when you go into these interviews, a lot of people used to have a hard time identifying like I used to not identify as a military spouse. I would even go in like taking my wedding rings off. Because I'm like, no, they don't even need to know that I'm married. Like, you know, that's none of your business. You can't ask me that until I grew right. up and matured a little bit and realized, yeah, of course, people are going to infer whatever they want um, based on your situation. But I, I've i now kind of come to realize, like, you need to address the elephant in the room. So, you know, going in and saying, like, you know, the first question is, oh, what brings you to town? Yeah. <laughs> Usually they're, that's their waiting. Yeah. yeah. They're waiting for you to say, oh, I'm in you know, whatever. Um, oh, I see you're from this installation. You're here. Anyway, it's really clear, you guys. Like, it's not a, yeah. it's not a mystery. But um, I used to, I and I tell people now, like, you need to address it right up front. Like, I see that you have picked up on the fact that I'm military. I want you to know we just moved to town, um, but I already have a babysitter. You know, that was the first thing. You know, if my husband deploys, like, I have a plan. I have a contingency. You know, like, they don't need to know all your details or your whole life, but they are right. They're worried about certain things and they're worried about certain liabilities yeah. that you might cause them. So move past that um, and let them know that that's not something they need to worry about and that you've held down employment at other places during other, you know, trying times. And that's not a problem. Like you've got your yeah. life together. I've actually even used in an interview, um, I've said, yeah, and I'm a great bargain because due to our military service, you do not have to offer me insurance benefits. I have that covered. Like, but you have, boom. but then, but then you should turn around though and say, in pay me lieu, more. Yes, yeah. pay like yeah, yes. Course. I would like to negotiate my salary and my benefits package because yeah. I'm not costing you. You know, based right. on anyway, there are definitely negotiations yeah. to be had there. Um, but yeah. but my point was is what like the problem is, and this has to do a lot too with the way that we offer our services up for free so often because we're a service minded yeah. people. And because volunteer labor is basically how the military family programs have always operated, we're accustomed to volunteering. We are not accustomed to being paid for things. So So shame on us or shame on the employers? Shame on the (laughs) DOD for not funding positions from the get-go and essentially abusing the volunteer labor force that they have at their disposal. Yeah. But also, if the employers are only offering, you know, eight ten dollars an hour, and we're continuing, like, and they have educated people taking eight ten dollars an hour, that's a problem because it's supply and demand. Why yeah. do they have to offer? They don't have to yeah. pay more. Now they're getting probably not the best employee that are going to get burnout and leave. There's no retention there. You know, that's on them to figure that kind of stuff out. But the problem is, is that they're not going to see the value. 
I know, but I'm thinking even where I live, and it's there are not many jobs in this very remote place, but I have a friend who has, believe she has her PhD mm-hmm. in library science, and she was able to only get hired as a part-time hourly worker at our installation library. And she had to first start by volunteering. Yeah. She volunteered for six months mm-hmm. shelving books, mm-hmm. a PhD with library experience in an international library. Okay. But to the point of specializing, I mean, that's pretty specialized. That is very specialized. She has really limited her options, um, like significantly. So this was one thing. So I had a chat this week with Libby Jamison, who um, is is the co-founder of an organization called Mission License. And they actually help professionals that have licenses. Um, So like, you know, lawyers, doctors, nurses, you know, medical folks, behavioral health, teachers, you name it. If you need a state license, they kind of help you navigate the whole um, portability and, you know, all of those issues, which there are many and they are super challenging. But I was like, what is your advice? So I asked her, like, what do you, what would you say? Maybe what are the better careers for people in military life to pursue? Assuming you have met your service member early enough in your life to now right. make those decisions and not being not pivoting later on. Um, and she laughed. She was like, something that doesn't require a license. Like, don't specialize. Yeah. <laughs> She's, I'm like, oh, God. She's like, no, but really, like, it's sometimes it's more heartache than it's worth. Um, so yeah. if you're at a point where you can make those choices, consider the fact that you could be um, – yeah introducing more obstacles than necessary. Well, here's just something to kind of leave you with on that, thinking back to the specializing and and whatnot. So the example I just gave of the friend who's probably making minimum wage, working at the library with a PhD, let this sink in. My son, who's 15, makes $20 for every soccer game he referees. So maybe, and my my daughters who babysit and get paid in cash make Ten to fifteen dollars an hour, and here's old mom over here with a master's yeah. <laughs> and almost two decades of teaching experience making. She's not a making lot. hearts <laughs> and sweet text messages. Yeah. <laughs> she is. I mean, yeah. she right. is raising kids, and I, I don't be- begrudge yeah. that. I'm happy for them, but like, yeah, it's just another element mm. of all that. So, so real quick, let's check in on our episode twelve advice, and then we'll end off with this episode. So episode 12, just to give you a quick recap, we talked about um, some of the difficulties and challenges, but then also like tips for solo parenting, uh, particularly through a deployment. And I actually didn't have any advice that I was going to have to put into practice myself. Mine was just a rehash of some of the the talking points I had given in a MOPS conversation. So Kelly, this one's all on you. What was your nice. advice and how are you rating yourself on that? I feel like I remember saying something about time management. I, can we tell this is a theme? Um, yeah. <laughs> because I, and I do think it's part of my Enneagram 5. When I'm stressed out, I just pull away. And like everything will just Withdrawal. still happen, even though I'm not like actively engaged. So I'm trying to like not do that um, and pay more attention to the things that I'll have to pick up on. Um, so he's still home. He hasn't left yet. So I haven't really had to put it into practice hardcore. But um, yeah, it's just it's just paying attention, like making sure that I don't overcommit which I have said no to several things, even just this week, you know, Good. like, Hey, listen, Good girl, can't take that on a- another, actually it was another freelance thing. It sounded really cool. It was super interesting. I could totally do it, but I'm like, Oh, this is, I want to do it. I want to say yes. But like having set that intention earlier helped me to say like, you know what? 
no, check in with me next month. Let me let me get into a groove and yeah. see what I can handle and uh and we'll we'll go from there. So yeah, I mean I think I'm doing okay. Well, I like that. That wasn't just a, a total no and a total closing uh-uh. of the door. It was just a not right now. So that's not good. Not right now. Like let me that. let me let me find my feet, you know, and make sure that I can handle life and I'm not like crying to my mom next month about anything. But um yeah, yeah just check back in. I wanna you know, you always want to keep your opportunities open. So um, yeah. And I know, I think you had talked a little bit too, particularly just about work hours and feeling like right. you're going to have to just keep a check on that and not feel like you can just work indefinitely, but put some yeah. parameters on that yeah. to get the parenting and house stuff. And I haven't started that yet. Cause he's still here. So I'm like, right now I'm actually kind of worse. Like I'm surging on that. <laughs> like, <laughs> surging. Like, can you, you know, <laughs> like trying to, trying to get as much done as I possibly can and cram as much in as I can. So, um, yeah, so so more to follow. I'll I'll circle back and let you know in a couple of weeks how it's going. <laughs> yeah, I'll check in. Mm-hmm. I will. <laughs> so for this episode thirteen on generalizing and specializing, we definitely want to leave you with some advice. Um, I will start with mine. Uh, I know that within the next six to eight months, we're PCSing, and um, depending on where we go, I know that I will want to try to, as I always, do find a job. Um, so I'm challenging myself to dig back into my LinkedIn profile, update it, and take some of what we've talked about today as far as um, kind of marketing skills or strengths in a way that's um, a little more generalized and marketable. So I think that's going to be my advice is to spend some time on my LinkedIn profile and also on maybe my resume and CV in preparation for a move. I love that. And I can help you with that. I love resumes. Yeah. Um, how much is it? Oh, it's only 20 bucks. Okay. I'll take the strengths finder. <laughs> I was like, wait, okay. let me look up and see how much it costs first. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm curious. I've, you know, I've talked about it before. I know I've done like a freebie sort of version of it. Um, mm-hmm. look at the engage your strengths. Cause there's one, so there's one that's done, um, specifically oh, for it. military. And I think it's engage, engage your strengths, oh, EYS cool. Clifton strengths finder. Engage. Okay, good. Thanks. We'll put that in the show notes too. If anybody wants to take it with me. I do not want to wait. I don't want to wait to hear from our next episode, what your strengths are. When you take it, I want you to text I me. I'm dying to know. <laughs> I love that thing. And just to add, add to your strengths finder thing. Um, they actually have a kid's version. And I think Fine. they say to maybe wait until your kid's like 13, maybe okay. or 12, but, um, and it just gives them three, but I think as you're, you know, those of us as moms who are kind of helping get our kids on their path to what they want to do, I love that. um, that can be a beneficial tool for them too. I love that. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm going to take it. Um, yeah, and I'll let you know. That's my, that's my advice. <laughs> take the strengths. Yeah. Finder. Sounds good. LinkedIn for me and strengths finders for you. Thanks for joining us this week on Advice Not Given. For resources and links to all the things mentioned in today's episode, head over to our website at millspogurus.com. That's M-I-L-S-P-O-G-U-R-U-S. If you enjoyed this episode, please help others find us by adding your thoughts to an iTunes review and subscribing so you never miss a show. If you're interested in being a next level supporter of our endeavors, check out our Patreon page. You can pledge as little as a dollar per episode to help us out with expenses. Think of it as eavesdropping on our coffee date, but then sending over a latte. It's a thing. 
Also, be sure to find us on Instagram and Facebook at Millspoke Gurus, where we keep the conversation going and where you can share your advice not given. I feel like I'm getting depressed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. We meant for this to be positive. Wait. I don't know how much more positive I have to say. I know.